Good morning, good morning, City Church. I am glad and honored to be with you this morning and already hearing from the Lord. How many of you uh, would just have an idea that during our time of worship, when Pastor Matthew and then also Chuck were really bringing something that they would suspect would be a word of the Lord, and by the way, it was, uh, how many of you just sense, you know what, the Lord was speaking to me through that time? Anyone, raise your hand if you sense that too. And well, I did too. In fact, I'll tell you what, um, Matthew doesn't know what I'm speaking on. God bless him. He has me here anyway. And, and I was thinking, it, it's exactly what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking out of Genesis 32. If you have your Bible, you can open it there to Genesis 32. And it's a section, actually, I shared with Benita probably late last year. I don't think I've ever preached from Genesis 32, at least this section. And it's a section where there is a man who maybe didn't know it, but the hand of the Lord had been on him. In fact, if you follow the bloodline that led to Christ, he was in that bloodline. But this guy was known as a con man. But his life was about to change in one incident that he had in his life being intersected by God. The interesting part, if you were to look at when his life was intersected, is he would say he was at the end of his road. He had tried everything he knew to do to bring peace where he had caused a ripping and discord and hatred and left behind a rubble. And now he's returning to the land of his fathers and his brother, who last he saw, basically said to him, I'm going to kill you. And now his brother's coming towards him with 400 men. And, and here Jacob's own servants come to him and said, by the way, your brother's coming. And he's not just walking alone. He's got 400 guys with him. He's after you. And after... Jacob then gives everything that he has to his brother, in other words, sends it there so that he could possibly live. He knows it's not enough. And he has a time that lasts all night, but culminates in the early dawn in a time of wrestling with the Lord. Now, we're going to read that wrestling. It's really very short, but I don't know how how many of you were born and raised Christians. I wasn't. And so I'm humored by certain things the Bible says. Are you, do you ever read a story of the Bible and you know it's the account, but you think, what's that mean? Come on, how have you ever just read across some scripture like that? This is one of those, it's in the middle of him wrestling with God, and God himself asked him a couple questions. First of all, he said, you know, the day is about to break. It's about to be sun up. This wrestling needs to end. And I'm thinking, well, my initial question was, where does God need to go? (laughs) Was it breakfast time? Huh? Was it time for a coffee? Did he have an appointment with someone else to go wrestle with someone else? And yet we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. The nice thing is when we all gather here, he's with us. The really super deal is when we all leave and go separate places, he's with you 
and yay, he's with me too. Come on, say he's with me. Amen, because he wants to be with you. And so I always think, well, why was God saying what he said? Well, apparently it wasn't for God. Apparently it had something to do with Jacob and his need for the wrestling to come to an end. The second question that I, the second thing that I kind of find humorous right before we read this short section is I'm humored when at the end of the wrestling, the Lord asked he, remember Jacob, it's he who he'd been wrestling with all night, and he says, what is your name? Now, by the way, do people usually ask your name because they forgot it or they didn't know it? Come on. How many of you would say, yeah, I think that's fairly common. Come on. I ask your name at the break. Do you remember that? What is your name? Greg, all right, because I forgot it a second time, all right. Anyway, I I didn't ask it to see if Greg still remembered. Come on. (laughs) But maybe, and by the way, I'm not putting down anyone that would have memory problems, but maybe this isn't an issue of a memory problem. Maybe it's an issue of identity. Come on. Maybe he wanted to know if Jacob knew who he was. So read it with me with a couple things in mind and kind of going into the wrestling, but hey, don't let this slide by on being somebody else's story with God. Come on. It's one that the Lord wants to intersect you and me, and maybe some of you are in a little bit of wrestling with the Lord yourself. It's Genesis 32, and I'm going to start at verse 22. It says, he, and that is Jacob, arose that night and took his two wives and by that, that'd fit in Utah, wouldn't it? Anyway, his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent them and sent over what he had. So, by the way, by this time, if you read the whole chapter, you'd find everything he had had been sent away and sent towards his brother so his brother wouldn't kill him. Verse 24, then Jacob was left alone And a man, and by the way, most translators translate that word man with a capitalization because it's distinctive in the Hebrew that it is referring to God. But it is referring to God who decided right there to show up in flesh and appear as a man. And it says, Jacob was left alone and a man, that being God, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And it goes on in verse 25 and says, Now when he saw, that being God, that he, God, did not prevail against him, Jacob. By the way, can you imagine wrestling with God and you're winning? That's what it was saying. And by the way, in this case, it's not good. And I want to say this. You have a will. You have an ability to choose. And you can wrestle with God. And some of you have been under the misconception that God will win. And I want to say to you, it's your choice whether you let him win or not. Because they'd wrestled all night and God did not prevail. Do you hear me? It goes on to say this. So he, that being God, touched the socket of his, that's Jacob's hip, 
and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. By the way, do a little Jewish history. You're going to find to this day, Jews, when they celebrate different celebrations and they have lamb, which is famous for them, you know, a shank of lamb, they won't eat the hip portion out of honor of Jacob. Of course, I was doing all kinds of research to apparently to, to attempt to appear uh, brilliant before you because I'm representing Matthew and now you know we're relatives and it puts all the more heat on him. Uh, but I was thinking, all right, what is it with God touching his hip? Come on, how have you kind of wondered? You, please, do you half wonder? Three, come on, four, no? Okay, I wondered, why touch his hip? I couldn't find a single commentary to tell me why God touches hip but I have an idea. How many of you want to hear my idea? Huh? It's not something you'll base your life on, or your theology on. It's just Rob's idea after knowing the Lord as long as I have. And that is if you study the life of Jacob, he spent his life running from God. And God touched him nearing the end of his wrestling in the place where he used his energy to run away from God. Now, how many of you, by the way, this is risky, but it will always end beneficial. How many of you would say with me, God, I have an area that maybe no one else knows about, but I have a way that I run from you. And I am asking you to come and touch my area that I have used to run from you and make it weak. How many of you would say, I agree with that? Well, there's over half of you. By the way, I'm not raising my hand just to prime the pump. <laughs> I'm saying, Lord, come and touch me. You know, don't, don't pass me by, Lord, in areas, because we all have areas. I don't know that you would have an area that you would say you're running from God now, which most of us might, but I'm referring to the way that you run that it would become weakened by a touch of the Lord. Amen? Verse, and I'm not preaching on that, but get something out of it with me. Verse 26, he said, that being God, let me go <laughs> for the day breaks. And he said, this is Jacob, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So there's the, there's the question that I have, and that is why is the Lord saying, let me go? And could it be, and I'm not gonna preach on this, but could it be that there needs to come a place in your life where your wrestling will be, if you don't let the Lord win, you will bring ruin in an unimaginable way. And the Lord is saying, stop. It has to end. And it needs to end today. And you can choose that. God will not make that choice for you. He gave you the ability to choose. And we then make that choice. Amen? And then I won't let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? <laughs> That's again the part I enjoyed. What is your name? Who are you? <laughs> Did he, Greg, forget his name? No. And he said, and by the way, if you read it in the tense that it's written, it was really a pitiful way when he named his name back. It was not, my name's Jacob, did you forget? No, it was Jacob. It was just a very light way of saying his name, almost a pitiful way. 
of him repeating his name back. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob answered and said, well, tell me what your name is, I pray. And he said, why is it that you asked my name? And he blessed him there. And we're going to stop right there. And we're going to deal with what is your name? Who are you? Listen, you know, I, I, I love Matthew and Sheila. I hope you do too. I mean, he is just the reason that he had a bunch of uncles and aunts, etc., show up today is we love Matthew and we love Sheila. And then they have a couple kids. I mean, if you didn't like them, you'd like Bella and Nora, all right? They're just such sweet kids, all right? But, you know, if you ask Sheila and Matthew, when did you name your kids? You know, they wouldn't say they named them months after their children were born. They named their kids right away. I mean, I, I just found out that they had, when they had Bella, what's her name? You know, I mean, did you give your child a name? Most of us in here, some people in here, you even named your child before they were born. But you wouldn't do that if you were a Jew living back then. Sometimes they would name that child beforehand if the Lord appeared to them and called them into something and they knew the purpose of that child, <clears throat> what that child was to be about. But most of the time that child was watched and they would name that child after a characteristic. So by the way, anyone here remember Jacob's brother? What was his name? Esau. Do you know what Esau means? It means hairy. I mean, this boy was so hairy that one of the ways that Jacob fooled his father into the blessing was super gluing some goat hair to his neck. And his dad said, come here close. I want to see if you got the hair of your brother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you must be Esau, you know, because how hairy he was. Can you imagine all of his life, Esau, what's he called? Harry. But we're not talking like if your name is Harry, H-A-R-R-Y, we're talking about Harry, like I don't have it, all right? H-A-I-R-Y. I mean, you know, Harry, pass the potatoes, but don't lean over them. All right? Who are you? I'm Harry. I'm Harry. That's what I'm known for. It's what I've been called all my life, Harry. You know, what is Jacob's name? What does it mean? What did his parents call him his entire life? What characteristics did they note in him that somehow God was changing at this time? His name meant supplanter, manipulator, liar, deceiver. Can you imagine every time? Now, by the way, I have brothers and sisters here, and I'm reluctant to tell you some of our family stories, though it would not make them look bad. Because quite frankly, I don't remember any of them ever calling me something bad. But my mother, who had been married to my father and probably because of that became the cousin woman that she became, <laughs> could call me when she was irritated or frustrated in life, could call me about every name in the book. Come on. And because we have a lot of youth here, I won't tell you all the names that she called me, all right? But she would be, is it okay, parents? So I just say a little bit. Come on, egg me on a little bit. This is Buena Park, all right, but she'd be, she'd be mad, and she'd be damning things. Do you know what that means without me saying it? Okay, and she'd be calling God's name into it, you know, God, damn you, Robert, you know, all right, you know, and then I get saved, and I figure out, hey, he doesn't want to damn me. 
He wants to bless me. In fact, the Bible says, behold, I have given commandment to bless, and I'll bless and I'll not reverse it. That is the will of God. That is his position with you. So my mother, after I got born again, I hear her say, God, you fill it in, you know, damn you, Robert, all right. I said, hey, mama, that's not correct. So what are you talking about? He doesn't want to damn me. He wants to bless me. What are you talking about? Well, didn't you hear you were cursing me? I wasn't cursing you. Yes, you said, and I said what she said. We had old cars that Terry tried to keep running for. She'd be out there cursing. I remember two different ones. She'd be cussing at it. God, damn, that car, you understand? And I said one day in the driveway, Mama, apparently it's already cursed. <laughs> you need to bless it. <laughs> what she said? I said, well, you're out there damning the car. It doesn't need to be damned further. It appears it's at the end of its rope. How about blessing it? God, bless it. Because I want to tell you something. Sometimes we're raised a certain way. Jacob was. He was called a liar, a deceiver, a supplanter every day of his life. Hey, liar, pass the potatoes. Your brother Harry is trying to reach over here. Get him from him. We don't want him reaching too far with it with his beard. He was a liar. What were you called? What are you needing God to change your name from? today and it's time that it changed that it not cause any further destruction do you hear me so i was looking at three things that i would call part of god's plan and his planned encounter with you and me because he has encounters maybe it's not in the middle of the night for you maybe it's in the middle of the day maybe it's not outside somewhere maybe it's in a building maybe it's not a wrestling but it's a wrestling that you are aware of that you, you are being encountered by God. And somewhere in your life, between, in your relationship between you and the Lord, you need to take that encounter that has become a wrestling match with you and the Lord. Come on. You know, when I think of wrestling, it's not a boxing. It's not Taekwondo. It's not Muay Thai. It's wrestling. It's the grabbing a hold of your opponent for what? To help them? No. It's to take your opponent down. I do not want your goals to happen in my life. You're touching me. I'm touching you. But you're touching me is trying to get a hold of my life. But my touch of you is trying to get rid of you and bring your purposes, your agenda down. I don't want your agenda. And somehow, in the middle of that wrestling, it needed to turn into a clay. Because something, when God did not prevail, when you put it down, when you realize that they wrestled all night, and then they came to a time when, verse 26, when the Lord's saying, hey, it's over. Jacob says, listen, I won't let you go. By the way, that won't let you go is not the stand of someone who's now trying to bring the purposes of God away from him. He's now saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. 
And guess what? He wants to. Isn't that exciting? But it became a cling. What is a cling? It's something that's frozen in grip. It's something that does not have an end to it. It is determined with no end allowed. It's a stand that God is asking you to take this morning where in the areas where maybe you've wrestled with the Lord over what you've been called, over what you've been living, and in that wrestling with the Lord, you're saying, I'm going to cling to you, and I'm never going to let you. It's what Paul was saying in Romans 8 when he said, nothing will separate me from the love of God. And he goes through a list. He's basically saying, nothing in the past is going to separate me from the love of God, which, by the way, people let their past separate them from the love of God. Some of you, if you were being honest with yourself, would say, and by the way, I have done that too, we have allowed our past to dictate way too much of what God wants to do today. You understand? And he's saying in Romans 8, I won't let my past, I won't let my present, I won't let my future break my cling with the Lord. Do you hear me? And he's saying, I don't care if it's something spiritual that I've wrestled with, Some of you have some spiritual opposition going on in your life right now. He's saying, I will not let that separate me from the love of God. It is threatening to do so. I will not. I will cling to it. I will determine to hold on to God in a way that there is no end in sight in my relationship with him. And then he even says, you know, uh, uh, the breath of life. You know, he's talking about things created, things made. You know, it's in essence saying, I won't let a car, I won't let a bill. <laughs> I won't let a house, I won't let a human. I won't let my past, I won't let my future, I won't let successes, I won't let failures come in between me and the Lord. I, I, I won't let that happen. Let me just say one more thing, and point one, I know you're not concerned, Matthew, but it's my longest, and let me just work it a little bit more. I just felt something on my heart. In the book of Acts, chapter number nine, is a powerful story about a man, well, it's the Apostle Paul, but it was when he was Saul. And this, it's, it's when he was being passionately wrong. He was on the road to Damascus, and it was while he was on that road, passionately against Christians, having them arrested. Some of them, like Stephen, were already killed. And he had orders from headquarters to do what he was doing. He was covered in the law. And by the way, this is a smart man. He was an attorney. He sat with the Sanhedrin, the highest court that there would have been known at the time. A brilliant guy, highly educated and educating others at that point in his life. And what's he doing? He's, He's doing everything he can to exterminate those who claim to know Christ. He's on that road, and some of you remember the story. God appears to him, and he asks him three questions. I'm not going to bring up all three this morning. I will bring up the first two. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? <laughs> you know what? I, he could have said, um, I haven't done a thing against you. I'm only picking on people. But there's the realization that if you pick on me, You're picking on my dad. And my dad takes it personally. Do you hear me? And he doesn't seem to forget. Do you hear me? I like that. 
Some of you, just almost all of us in here, you know the Lord, you love him. You got a dad. I don't know what you were brought up with, but I know he who loves you. Amen? Talking about God the Father. And he knows, he knows when wrong has been brought against his kids, and he doesn't think lightly. The second thing that he says that is really where I'm heading is he said, the second question is, why do you kick against the goats? Now, that's a, that's a shepherd's term. It's the, it, you know, most of us in this room are not sheep herders, all right? If you're a parent, you understand what a sheep herder's job would be, huh? Uh, you know, especially if you've, how many of you have had or have teenage kids, huh? All right. You know, you know what it is. Hey, I'm just trying to warn you. You know, a, a shepherd would be taking his, his rod, and his, you know, his, his staff, and he would be, he would be goading the sheep if the sheep is out of its, can I use a bad word, out of its stupidity, come on, is wandering off towards the briars, towards the thorns. He's tapping it on its hindside, trying to tap it back. It's called a goad. He's trying to goad the sheep back over to where the grass is. There's nothing to eat over there. Oh, but I think I see something. I want to wander over there. No, that's not good food. It'll destroy your stomach, all right? Go back over here. Goad. He's goading it. You know, there's there's coyotes over there. There's mountain lion over there. I need you all to stay together. He's he's taking the goad, and he's, he's taking the staff, and he's goading the sheep. The picture here is when you refer to kicking against the goads, is like a horse kick. It is a severe kicking against the Lord, is what it's referring to. And he's saying to Saul, why do you kick against me? Why do you kick in a way to say, I want you out of my life? I've only been trying to lead you to life, to waters that you could drink, to, uh, away from the cliffs, away from the briars, away from that which would harm you. And the picture here is God himself with Saul then questioning, why are you kicking against me? You know, I have a Yorkshire Terrier. Do you, any of you have dogs in, at home? And do you like your dogs? I, I love my dog, all right? I don't like telling people that, but... I love the dog, all right? She's a little five-pound dog that's very self-willed. And we live in the hills of Los Angeles, and there's coyotes that come through our yard, sometimes daily, and I have to walk with the dog while every time she goes potty. You understand? We don't let the dog out to go to the bathroom. You do that with a Labrador in that neighborhood, all right? You don't let Riley out, the little Yorkshire Terrier. So there I am. Even this week in the rain, following the dog around. I'm a therapist. I have clients inside. All right, what am I doing in the backyard? Getting my feet wet, huh? Following this little Yorkshire Terrier around. Sometimes I will hear, we have a little system on the side yard that alerts us if there's coyotes. And commonly, they're there. I mean, one Sunday morning, I was there washing my hands in the kitchen window, looking out the window, and there's a, there's a 
dead chihuahua that had been gutted and eaten during the night, still had its sweater on, little collar, that sort of thing. It was a terrible thing. Two weeks later, a cat. I wasn't as grieved by that. But anyway, sorry, 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 sorry. That's terrible. Look, I'm leaving today. He's your pastor. He didn't say it. I did. All right. But, but no, it was terrible. I felt bad for both of them, honestly. But my dog will be out there, and that little coyote alert will go off. Riley, come here, come here. She looks at me like, I don't want to come there. She'll run away from me. I think, you stupid dog. (laughs) Why do you kick against the goat? You understand? Why do I kick against the goat? It's the time where we settle it today. Lord, I need to spend my will in not kicking against your efforts to bring me life. I will embrace it. Because here's what Jacob was saying. Lord, what's my life all about? I've spent my life manipulating, supplanting, lying. I've spent my life doing it. And this is where it's gotten. My brother hating me, and I have nothing and no one. Why do we kick? No. Breakthrough happens when wrestling becomes a goal. How many of you needed to hear that word? Yeah, a bunch of us. The second uh, issue here that I see is this, I won't let you go until you bless me. It's the right in the middle of verse 26. I won't let you go. And it's, you know, God's intending a greater victory in his life and He's intending a greater victory in your life, by the way. And the precious part about the scripture is it sure didn't turn off God that Jacob had a past. Did you hear me? You know, who is he? Let's think about his history just for a minute and then apply it to you and me. He was always scheming. That's why he was called a supplanter. He's the guy that would come to the family reunion poor and leave with your money. Do you have relatives like that? Huh? Oh, don't raise your hand. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all, all of my brothers and sisters just raise their hand. No, I'm teasing you. <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> is it me? No, anyway. Always planning. You know, something about Jacob, I realized, you know, he would say, if you said, who is your enemy? He'd say, Esau is my enemy. Esau wasn't his enemy. He was his enemy. In fact, you know, he kept moving, trying to get away from his enemies. The problem is, if I use today's language, if I said, you know what, I've got a lot of enemies at City Church. You know, you guys don't like me. I mean, I thought you were friendly, and you really aren't as friendly as I thought, and I'm going to go to another place. Or it would be, uh, where's Chuck? It would be, thank you. It would be uh, Chuck saying, you know what? I've got a bunch of enemies in my neighborhood. I think I'll move out of my neighborhood. The problem is the real one leaves. Not Chuck, I meant. That was a poor illustration, but, you know, I can get on a Southwest airline and move, go to Utah. The problem is I go with it. 
and I get off the plane, I have become sometimes my enemy that needs to be the real one that is dealt with. And stop blaming you for my problem. Some of you have had strains in your marriage because you love to blame your spouse. Huh? I love to blame Benita. I, I love it that she becomes the focus. We've been married 40 years, and that girl loves me. Is that right? You still love me? Come on, a little more enthusiasm in that. You know. All right. No, I know the truth. I even ask her, no joke, I asked her probably, I don't know, a series of months ago, I said, how can I be a better husband? And she said, and I should have kept it on recording because she probably changed her mind about 10 minutes later, but she said, I can't think of a single thing that you could do to improve yourself as a husband or as a person. Can you imagine? Huh? Now, she might have had low blood sugar or something like that. <laughs> it might have been just because I put a Starbucks right in her hand, all right? But this guy was his mother's favorite. Esau was his father's favorite. You remember that he's the guy that when he was in, he, he liked to cook, his brother liked to hunt, and he was in cooking, and do you remember his brother came back from a hunt, I think it's Genesis 25, and he was making some soup. It was red soup. It actually mentions that, that because red is Edom, and it says when Esau wanted it, he was also known as Edom from that time on okay, which means red, but here he is mixing up some soup, and his brother comes in and says, I am really hungry. In fact, I'm dying with hunger, and give me some of that soup. He said, I will if you give me your birthright. By the way, <laughs> what an opportunist. <laughs> We're not talking entrepreneur, all right? We're talking opportunist, huh? And so what's he do? He's, what good is my birthright if I'm going to die? So yeah, let's switch around things. It's interesting, the last verse of that chapter, it, it says Esau despised his birthright. In other words, he got rid of it. He treated, that word despised means he took something that was to have great value and he gave it little value. He made it common. By the way, I work with people all the time who have treated things with that have great value with low value, and then they begin to define it as that which has low value. You know, as an example, maybe a teenager that ends up giving themselves away sexually. Sexuality becomes very common to them. They see it as normal or low a value. They despise it. But the Lord wants to restore that to high value, to something of sacredness before the Lord and something to be given away in marriage. Do you understand? It's, the, it's our words that are so important when we speak life because the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so most of us in this room have spoken some pretty raunchy things. Am I alone? How many of you have? I know you haven't, but, uh, but how many of you have? Come on, raise your hand. I didn't get to see. I was looking to see Benitas, you know. Anyway, I got that, yeah. And, and sometimes when we have spoken, can I put it this way, when, when we are to put great value in what we say and we begin to put little value because it became common and we become casual in what we say, even demeaning, 
we don't think God can restore that, but God desires to restore it in you. In other words, give what is to have value, value back. You hear me? Don't despise things in your life of little value when they're to have great value. Let the Lord restore right now the value that needs to be had. So you can see that Esau wouldn't have been real charmed with his brother. Can't you tell? It ends at a time, sometime later, where, uh, where Rebecca, who is, that would be Jacob and Esau's mother, overhears dad, Isaac, saying to Esau, hey, by the way, I'm getting old. I don't know when I'm going to die. I ask you to go out and make some food that I really like, make it taste good, and bring it in. I'm going to give you the family inheritance. I'm going to give you the blessing of the family. I'm going to declare it on you. So he goes out, Esau goes out to hunt. I don't know what he was needing to hunt that day, but he was going out to get something tasty and he's going to bring it home and make it for his dad. Rebecca, though, overhears it. And, you know, I mean, you talk about a family of liars. Huh? I mean, it ran in the family. I, I could find it up three generations in their family, all the way back to Abraham and Sarah. Oh, she's my sister. <laughs> don't kill me. You know, I mean... Come on. And it just runs on in the generations until somebody will finally say, enough of this stuff. I'm going to live for Jesus. Come on. I don't want this stuff passed on to another generation of people as it would be. And so here they are. And, and what's Rebecca do? Hey, listen, Jacob, I, you know, your dad's going to give the blessing to your brother, but he, he's seen now. He's, you know, he doesn't see very well, doesn't hear very well. So listen, I'm going to make the food for you. You take it in, get the dad's blessing. But I'm not hairy enough, remember? You know, remember his brother Harry, all right? So what she do, no joke, she, I don't know if they already had it killed or what, but she takes some kid of goat hair and, you know, puts it, it doesn't say super glue in the Bible, that's my version, but somehow they attached hair on his arm and on his, on the smooth part, part of his neck and and he still didn't quite have it down because he still sounded like Jacob so she took Esau's stinky robe and put it on him and said okay now at least you smell and feel like him all right and you're doing what dad had asked him so in walks Jacob hey father I've brought your food for you that I would receive your blessing hmm come close come close I you 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 have the voice of Jacob no, you feel just like Harry. Okay, let me feel your, yeah, yeah you, you feel just like him. Come close that I can kiss you. You know what he was doing? He wanted to smell him. And when it says when he came close for him to kiss him, that his father smelled, that he smelled just like Esau. And then what did he do? He gave Jacob his blessing. By the way, interesting part, if you want to wrestle with something that I'm not, gonna, not going to in front of you, and that is, Jacob had been promised the blessing by God at his birth. He didn't need to manipulate. He's going to be blessed anyway. Hey, look, guys. Some of you are wrestling with things God wants to do anyway. Stop your scheming. Isn't that right? Stop it. It's just causing loss and causing family division. That's what it was causing in his life. So listen to this. His dad asked him. I hate this scripture that I'm about to refer to. His dad asked him, he said, um, how'd you get the game so fast? He said, oh, God provided it. Oh, to use God language to cover up for our own sin. 
rather than deal with our life. Huh? So now his brother's against him. And he finally comes to the end of his rope when he's given away all that he has. He knows that God is calling him back to the land of his father. And he's wrestling and he's saying, I've exterminated my efforts. I won't let you go until you bless me. How many of you have put efforts in certain areas of your life and you think, I know that's what the Lord is asking me to do? In other words, I'm done with my efforts in that. I need to let God be in charge. Anyone say that? Uh, Yeah. And then just lastly, and here is where the change happens. It's in verse 27. What is your name? Remember, they were named after their character. So what the Lord was saying was not that he forgot Jacob's name. He's saying, who are you? What is your identity? God asked him and he didn't need his answer. Jacob needed to answer. And it wasn't, I'm who everyone has always said that I am. No, who do I say you? Who is God calling you to be? Who is God saying that you are rather than, rather than answering him with the pitiful things that we answer? I've had the privilege in my life of being everywhere from ministering to people on the streets to being a brief guest at the White House under George Bush. Because I was an endorsing officer for chaplains uh, in the military, I've had the privilege of probably being on 50, 60, 70 military bases and meeting with every commander but one in those instances. Was honored by a two-star general from the Pentagon just this last summer at the Washington Hill. In the last four weeks, I've been honored by two uh, Army Special Force officers, you know, received the commander's coin, if you're familiar with that in the military term. But it's not who I am. I'm not the failure of my past. If you, what would you answer to the Lord if he said who you are? Who are you? Oh, I did this wrong. Who are you? You don't understand. For decades, I've done that wrong. Who are you? What is your name? Well, I came from a family of low beginnings. Who are you? You know, I could claim some other thing. Oh, maybe I'm a person that has a certain education. Who are you? Oh, I have a doctor's degree. Who are you? I didn't pass high school. Who are you? Do you know where I live? That's a pretty nice house. Who are you? I drive a BMW. Who are you? Did you see the purse that my wife carries? It's a Gucci. No. You understand what I'm saying? Who are you isn't what you have. Who are you isn't what you don't have. Who are you isn't how you've succeeded. Who are you isn't how you fail. Who are you is defined by God. He alone speaks truth. Stop letting your soul be the home of the parasitical lies of the enemy. Come on. Begin to believe 
the identity of God. Who are you? And the Lord says, today you are no longer supplanter. Today you are no longer liar. Today you're no longer manipulator. Today you are Israel, prince of God as well. What does the Bible say about you and me? Your name's not Israel. But Peter says, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's who I am. Did you not know, by the way, Matthew invited a royal priest here. It's true, and I'm addressing royal priests. You hear me? It's the truth. When will you believe it? It's what God in his word says about you. A holy nation. Who are you? Maybe I'm who the Lord says I am. Maybe when he says, you're no longer slaves. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. Probably seen clearest in Matthew. I'm wrapping it up with this, but probably seen clearest in, in Luke chapter number 15 when the prodigal son returns home. And what's he want to do? He wants to just have the food that his father provides even for the slaves, and he's going to head to the slave quarters before he can even get the pig smell out of him. He hadn't even showered. His dad ran and fell on his neck. My son that was lost and dead is now back again. Yay! Who are you? I'm loved by God. And that means something. He treats me not as a, sorry, bastard child. I am his. And I'm full-blown a son or a daughter. I know the difference. I'm referring to you ladies, all right? Come on, I live near Silver Lake, all right? Anyway, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. Amen? Who are you? I know who I am. Let's take a, let's take a time of prayer right now. Close your Bible if you have it. And Matthew, would you mind coming up here? And uh, Don't you love Pastor Matthew, huh? Yeah. Would you bow your head with me? And it's time to make some decisions. By the way, a joy being with you guys today. I wished I lived closer. Just a fun, enjoyable, genuine men and women that are part of this healthy congregation to be a part of. But bow your heads for just a minute. Would you just letting other people make decisions and you make decisions yourself? Who are you? I'm going to ask you three questions. There is nothing in me that's going to have you stand, but I will say you need to live it out. Maybe tell somebody, hey, I'm this. But the first, and because I don't know all of you, nor do I know what's going on in your roughest times of your life. But where are you at with the Lord? Because it's not that the whole world are his sons and daughters. It's people that have made a life change that in the middle of your wrestling, you gave your life to him. So if you've, you know, the Bible says in Revelations, he's knocking at the door of your heart. Hear his knock. He's not going to force it in. He loves you. You know, God does not dictate. The enemy dictates. God does not make you even when you do anything, even though You'd like to see him as that. He isn't. 
He respects you. He wants a relationship. You want to invite him into your life today as Lord and you've never done that. Or you have and you've walked away from him and you want to come back home. Do that in a decision where you're basically saying, I won't let you go until you bless me. That's question one. If that's you, lift your hand. Giving your life to the Lord or coming back to the Lord. Just lift it high. I see that. I see that. So proud of you. So proud of you. And by the way, you have a God in heaven who loves you. And just begin to whisper to him. Tell him right from where your seat is to say, I love you, Lord. I love you. Put him in the place of lordship in your life. Why well, I ask the other people a couple more questions. How many of you would just say, you know what, Robbie and Pastor Matthew and before the Lord, you know what, I have allowed my identity to be in failures or successes, but I hear the Lord wanting me to make a decision to change that place where I begin to define things by him. Is that you? Lift your hand. Is that you? Yeah, yeah. God grace you. Some of you going through tough stuff, man, and just it's, Lord, I begin to put the cookies of my value of my heart into your basket. Lord, you speak to me. That's who I am. And by the way, you, I love you so much, you form who I am. And then just last question. How many of you have been in a little bit of a goading? You've kicked against the goads. You've kicked against God's trying to give you life in certain sections. You love him already, but you've just been resisting. And you know he's speaking to you saying, don't wrestle with me, cling to me. And that's you. Lift your hand. Lift your hand. Yeah. Yeah, many, many. And Lord, we do. We lift our lives before you, some of us with our hands right now, and just declare, Lord, we love you. I won't resist you anymore. Come into those places where I have, and Lord, I turn them into a cling before you. I grab a hold of you to say, I won't let you go until you bless me, until you bless my family in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed. Those of you that lifted your hands to make a decision for Christ, say this with me out loud to him, and the rest of you, how about as a good declaration? Say it out loud. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I love you. With all of my heart, all of my thinking, all of my soul, all of my strength. And today I give you my life. I've sinned before you. Wash me clean by the price you paid on the cross for my sin because you want me. I open my heart up to you. I invite you in to be Lord and Savior of my life and everything I'm about. Be my Lord. And now that you've accepted me and forgiven me, and I'm yours, train me in your ways. In Jesus' name. Yeah. And Lord, I ask your powerful hand on City Church. What a healthy group of people. Bless them. Bless their leadership, Matthew, Sheila, the others that join with them. And Lord, give them great fruitfulness through this Easter season. In Jesus' name, amen.
I love you all. It's good to see you. With me. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. Give uh, <laughs> Uncle Robbie a big round of applause. Thank, Thank you for coming.